When I was growing up, I was the baby of the family. All of my cousins were older than I was. I had an older brother, Chuck, five years older than I was. I had cousins on my dad's side of the family and cousins on my mother's side of the family. They were all older than me. I was the little one. We had great grandparents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, great aunts and great uncles. It was a huge family, close net on both sides and even across the divide between my dad and mom's families. They were, we were close with each other. And the glue that knitted us together were, of course, our elders, my grandfather, Granddad Neil, and my great aunt Lucy. Now, Lucy was an amazing person. First of all, when my granddad was a little child, he couldn't say Lucy. And so he could only get out the sound Uchi or Witchy. And so she became known as Witchy. And throughout the years, she was called Witchy. Everybody called her Witchy. And we all called her Aunt Witchy. They even called her Witchy at church. Isn't that weird? We all called her Aunt Witchy. And she was an amazing woman. Uh, during the Second World War and back in the First World War, her husband, who was off in, in, in combat, uh, her, her husband's sister came and lived with her. And they, she just stayed there. And then when he passed away, they continued together as a loving couple for over 50 years together of life. No one cared about that. What they cared about was her amazing grace. She was a person of great love, an amazing compassion. When you had a problem, you'd go to Aunt Witchy. You'd pick up the phone and you'd call her. She lived in Minden, Louisiana. You'd pick up the phone and you'd call her and you'd talk with her. And she would listen to what you had to say. She'd listen to your concerns. She'd listen to your fears. She'd listen to your worries. And then she would offer words of counsel and advice. They were often quiet words. They were often compassionate words. They were centering words, words that helped you realize that you weren't alone in this that God was with you, and that she cared for you, and she worried for you, which she was incredible. And then she said, let me pray for you, honey. And then she'd pray for you, and she'd pray, and she'd pray. She'd pray up a storm, and when she was done praying, you knew you'd been prayed for. Wow. And that was just her character. When you'd meet her, you'd think, oh, my goodness, what an amazing woman. Her mother, my great-grandmother, Mama, Mama Neil, she was four foot nine, real short and really skinny. Witchy was six one, with a massive frame and a very stout body and these long, amazing, strong arms. And when you'd go to her, you'd run up to her. I remember running up to her as a little child, and she would stoop over and engulf you with love in her arms. And she would hold you tight. Oh, honey, I love you. And she'd pat you on the back. And you knew you were encompassed by love. That experience informed my understanding of God's love and grace. When I was in Witchy's arms, I knew I was safe. And when we are in God's arms, we truly are safe. My image of God goes right to her to her love and her compassion, which just flowed from her and her arms of embrace, which filled me with the knowledge of God's grace. God's grace is what we're going to look at today. 
God's amazing love and favor. What is grace? We have all sorts of words in the church to talk about, all sorts of interesting theological ideas. We talk about glory, the glory of God. We talk about joy and peace and mercy and forgiveness and justice and faith and hope and love. We think we know what these words mean, but and we do in many cases, but what about grace? Grace can have several connotations. I, I think about my, my great aunt Lucy, my aunt Witchy, she, she, um, she was huge. And to a little child, she was even bigger. And yet she moved through the house with such delicacy and poise. She moved with much grace. She was graceful in every step, in every word, in everything that she did. Grace means God's love and favor. The Greek word that is being translated from in the New Testament original is charis. And charis means grace. It means gift. It means love given freely. It means God's love that is given without limitation. It is God's love that is overwhelming and amazing in its fulfillment. It is God's love and presence, God's acceptance, God's forgiveness, God's self-giving nature. Charis is God's gift to us, God's gift of God's very self. Even the law is rooted in God's grace. Everything we know about God is rooted in God's grace, God's self-giving, self-revealing nature and presence. In the very center of the law of Moses, you have this amazing statement. When Jesus was asked what is the most important, what is the first commandment, the one that we must pay the most attention to, he said, he pulled this straight out of the Hebrew Bible, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first and greatest commandment, he said. And then he said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is the essence of charis, of grace. Indeed, he himself then also pulled from this core of the law and said, this is my commandment, that you love one another. And at the core of love is the gift of God's unmerited, undeserved, unearned, unearnable love and favor. Paul wrote in the Ephesian letter, In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Whose grace? Christ's grace. According to the riches of Christ's grace that he lavished. I love that word. Lavished on us. The riches of Christ's grace have been lavished upon us. Not meted out in tiny little amounts. Not meted out when we think we need it or when someone else thinks that they or we need it not meted out in just the tiniest little bits, but lavished upon us. Wow. I was 
cooking up some chicken the other day, getting it ready, and I had this panko mixture that I wanted to put on it, and the directions in the recipe said, make sure that you put you baste the chicken breast with some butter so that the panko will attach a little better to it. So I started to dab it on there just a little bit, and Cade looked over my shoulder, saw what I was doing, and said, no, 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 slather it on, add more butter, there's never too much butter. I mean, really, yes, just add the butter, and then the panko will attach nicely. I tend to burn water, so this was a new revelation to me. I just added the butter, and I added more, and I added more, and sure enough, it worked. And it was yummy, too. Things that are lavished make it more yummy. And that's true especially with God's grace. God's grace has been lavished upon us, not meted out in tiny little packets or tiny little dabs, but lavished, slathered on heavily beyond our need, but certainly answering our need, our need for justice, our need for mercy, our need for forgiveness, our need for grace. Do you know what the difference is between the words justice, mercy, and grace? Justice is getting what you deserve. When you're speeding down the highway, down I-30 out there at 80 miles per hour in a 65 mile per hour zone, and a cop pulls you over and gives you a ticket, that's justice. You're getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. When you're speeding up Abrams Road out here going, oh, I don't know, 50 in a 30 mile per hour zone, and a cop pulls you over and gives you a warning, that's mercy, friends. You're not getting what you deserve. Oh boy, I wish for mercy. That's what I want, I want mercy, yeah. What's grace? Grace is getting what you don't deserve. When you're speeding through a school zone, going 50 miles per hour in that 20 mile per hour zone, and a cop pulls you over and gives you a reward of $100, that's grace, my friends. Getting what you do not deserve. We don't merit it. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't merit it. But we need it. That's what grace is. God's unearned, unmerited, unearned, and unearnable love and favor. Grace that comes, that simply flows because of God's nature to give it and our need of it. God's grace comes to us in so many different ways. God's grace comes to us in the laughter of a child or in its tears calling us to be compassionate towards it. God's grace comes to us through the reading of Scripture. Even those long ones where Paul gets on the wordy side, yes. God's grace comes to us through prayer I can never forget sitting there. I was, it was at a Western Sizzler, and it was a group of pastors out in the, well, now is the uh, East District. This was, oh, oh my goodness, this was 30 years ago. And I remember sitting there, and Randy Newkirk was a dear friend of mine, he was pastor of a church down the road, and we were sitting together next to each other, which was always dangerous to put Randy and I next to each other. And we're sitting there, and the lead pastor in the group at that lunch was the pastor of the First Baptist Church, and he stands up and starts to pray. And about a third of the way through the prayer, which 
was very long. Randy just said, amen, and started to eat. And I said, what about, what are you, what are you doing, Randy? This is being ridiculous. And he says, there's enough grace at this table. The Baptist pastor doesn't need to give us any more. Let's go. Let's eat. Wow, Randy. We know God's grace through prayer. We know God's grace through fellowship together. When we get together and we drink coffee and we sit and we chat, we know God's grace in our midst. It's one of the things I hated the most about the pandemic was that it made it almost impossible to sit together and to drink coffee and eat snacks and chat. I tried to get around that by holding Zoom coffee groups, and we'd sit together, and there'd be like 15, 20 of us on the Zoom, and we'd sit there, we used to drink our own coffee and each drink, eat our own donuts, and, you know, that was fine, but it's not the same as being able to walk up to some dear soul like Mona and embrace. I missed those embraces. That's a means of grace, friends. That's a way of knowing God's grace, fellowshipping together, serving together, collecting shoes and socks. I was part of a ministry that would collect used beds and then distribute them to families that needed those beds. Bed Start, powerful ministry, an important ministry in many places, especially out in the eastern part of the state where you don't have a whole lot of extra housing or a whole lot of extra supplies like that. That's a way of knowing God's grace and sharing God's grace with others and receiving God's grace within yourself. The sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, those are principal means of grace, principal ways of receiving God's grace, principal ways of knowing God's grace and sharing God's grace with others. First time I ever got to be part of distributing Holy Communion. I was really young. We were at St. Michael's and All Angels and I was an altar attendant. And I remember Father Minnick gave us the, gave me the chalice to carry. And I was so afraid I was going to drop it. I, was, I just knew I was going. But I knew what I was supposed to do. I was supposed to take it, and with a little cloth, I would I had a little bit of wine on it. I would rip the rim, wipe the rim and rotate it for the next person to come and take a sip and wipe the rim and rotate it for the next person and move my way down. So I'm going down the way, and I just knew I was going to drop that chalice. But I was so filled with joy at knowing that I was taking part in the sharing of God's grace with someone else, most of whom I didn't know. And so, yes, going down the way, I tripped. And I start to go down, and I'm holding this chalice up, and just before I hit the floor and my arm hits the rail, the person who was kneeling there reaches out and grabs that cup. Ooh, grace! Get me from spilling the blood of Christ. And I remember Father Menick, who eventually became a bishop. Father Menick turns around, and he sees this, and he says, good catch, to the person receiving it. And he looks at me, and he says, don't worry. God loves you. That's grace. Even in the midst of a stumble like that, that's grace. Singing hymns, listening to the choir sing. What a wonderful way of receiving God's grace. Hearing the scriptures read and proclaimed, Oh, sometimes preachers can get very long-winded, but my friends, it's a way 
of receiving God's grace. All of these are called means of grace. And in Wesleyan and Methodist theology, they speak about how we receive and share God's grace with others. Wow. God's grace that meets us before we're even aware of it, preveniently, ahead of us, to welcome us, to beckon us, to come into a relationship with God. God's grace then, when we say yes to God's yes, then fills us with forgiveness and fills us with love and fills us with acceptance and fills us with welcome, inclusion. Church calls that justifying grace. It just simply means that where we are in our lives, God's grace comes in to make, make us right with God and with each other. Then, as we continue in life, and God adds grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace through the many means of grace and through those who love us and care for us, we suddenly start finding that the life that we're living the way we're living, what we think about, what we do, starts to conform more and more and more, not by any of our works, but by God's grace presence in us, starts to conform more and more and more to the life of Christ, the life of love and self-giving, the life of forgiveness for self, for others, for people we love and for people we cannot stand. God's grace works within us to sanctify us. It's called sanctifying grace. To transform us, to make us more, to make us more like what God wants us to be. So God's grace, God's charis, God's unending, never failing, undeserved and undeservable, unearned and unearnable, and yet always present love and favor comes to us, giving us what we don't deserve, but so desperately need, love and favor. That's what grace is. And it is the riches of God's grace, God's gift, slathered, lavished on us, basted on us by the power of God. You know what the name Christ means? By the way, Christ and Karis have the same root. Christ comes from the Hebrew Mashiach. And in Hebrew, Mashiach means anointed one. Wow, anointed one. In Greek, Karis means to anoint. But more specifically, and in the labor world, it means to plaster. A wall would be plastered. They would say it had been Christosed. It had been covered with the plaster slathered on, lavished upon it. It's the perfect word. Jesus is the lavish gift of God's grace, slathered, lavished upon us. That's who Jesus is. That's who Christ is. That's the gift that God has for us. As a people of faith and as a people of God's grace, let us be about lavishing others with the amazing grace of God, sharing it with all we meet. That's fine, Greg, with the people I like, but what about the people that I just really don't like sitting next to at church? Well, guess what? Yes, 
What about those people in my family who, you know, I have to see them at Christmas and I have to see them at weddings and funerals, but otherwise I just am very happy not to ever see them again. Well, guess what? They need grace too. We all need God's grace. We all need God's presence. We all need to share God's grace and God's presence with others. Let's do that, my brothers and sisters. Let's keep doing that, my brothers and sisters. Let us truly, my siblings, let us truly be about sharing the lavish riches of God's gift of love with others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let the people of God say, Amen.